As I start, I'd like to take some of you back a long way, some of you back a less distant way, to perhaps a scene that will play out in families uh, up and down the land. I want you to picture the scene. You're in a car, in a car, you're going on a journey. You didn't manage to bag see the front seat, so you're sat in the back, and you're quite little. And there is somebody alongside you who's also quite little and also didn't bag see the front seat, and they're sat in the back too, and you're going a long journey. And if it was anything like the car journeys I went on as a kid, um, where my brother was a lot younger than me, uh, there were moments in the journey where there was encroachment. And a conversation would ensue where my brother would encroach onto my side of the back seat of the car. And the conversation, it might be a bit of pushing and shoving, but the conversation would have in, in there somewhere the line, he's on my side. Anybody identify with that? Yeah, okay. So these kind of car journeys do happen up and down the land. Um, picture a different scene, perhaps. You're in a playground, and uh, someone shoves you, or perhaps more likely, someone says something about you. Maybe something not very nice. Uh, your response is... My response was probably to try and say something about them. I learned when I got to secondary school that it was much better to just say something funny at the time or some quip, and you got out of the situation that way, and you didn't end up getting punched. Um, But in the primary school playground, probably there'd be a response where you say something back. This continues to adulthood where when someone criticizes you, it's quite tempting to criticize them back, isn't it? And I want to look at this whole thing today. You see, when you're a child, you can deal with this situation as a parent if you're in the front seat by by coming up with some plans. This is what one guy did um, to separate his children. He's got some sheets of wood and stuck them in between the chairs so they can't possibly encroach on each other's sides. Now, I think they're a bit young to be worrying about this anyway, but he's obviously planning ahead. The aim as a parent or as a teacher responsible adult with children who are mucking around like this is to try and stop retaliation. We try and break things up and get people to calm down and separate and and just calm it all down. And yet we have a different kind of response to adult friends sometimes. You see, when a situation goes horribly wrong and someone's horrible to you or nasty to you, adult friends respond in a different way. And maybe you've had this advice too. Some of your friends, when someone's criticized you unfairly or treated you badly, will tell you to get them back because they deserve it. They will justify your response and say, oh, well, it's okay, you can do the same to them, or, or you'll start gossiping about them amongst yourselves. Other friends will tell you to ignore them because they're not worth it. And so we tend to have these two polar, response, two polar opposite responses to challenge or conflict or criticism or harshness or rejection or pain, either to do it back to the person or to ignore it because the person isn't worth it. Both of them click into a law that we often deal with relationships on this basis, the law of reciprocity. Basically, this means that it's kind of Newton's laws of motion or gravity or some of the Newtonian physics where there's an e- every cause has an equal and opposite response or something like that, isn't it? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's the one. And there's a kind of emotional equivalent to this where if you act in a certain way, there's an equal and opposite reaction which comes at you. And we live our lives of relationship like this so often. 
Where my response to you is connected to your actions to me. Where what you do to me determines how I treat you. With my relationships at work or my extended family or my neighbors or the people I'm in a traffic queue with or in the supermarket with, how they are with me determines how I will be with them. Either I respond in the same way or I ignore them because they're not worth it. Now this can have a, I've painted this fairly negatively, but it can have a positive spin-off as well. You'll know the experience where uh, you get a Christmas card from someone you didn't send a Christmas card to. And the law of reciprocity kicks in then and you suddenly go, I need to get another Christmas card. I've sent all my Christmas cards. I need to go to the shop now and buy another Christmas card to send to the person who sent me a Christmas card that I had forgotten all about. And so we, we do this positively as well. When people are nice to us, we feel indebted to them and so we try and be nice to them too. At its heart, this law has an innate sense of fairness about it. It feels fair and just. It feels right that we should treat people as they treat us. And yet, I think every war has probably started because of this law. I think every political conflict has started because of this. I think violence starts around the world, marginalization and isolation. And there are moments in history where people decide that they're not going to respond in the same way they've been treated. Anybody recognize this picture? It's more recently immortalized in a film called Selma. And this is a picture from Dr. Martin Luther King leading a protest uh, for voting rights. This is so that black people could vote uh, in America not that long ago. And there was this great kind of standoff. And this was a peaceful protest that was dealt with very harshly where people decided they were not going to respond with violence, they were going to respond with peace, that the law of reciprocity would be broken, and even if people were harsh with them, they would not respond in the same way. As a result of this and other protests, similarly, the law was uh, enacted properly, and people were able to vote as they should be able to. You might remember this picture from Tiananmen Square, 1989. In the face of overwhelming aggression, somebody decided to stand up against a line of tanks. Why they're parked like that, I don't quite know. But someone decided to stand up against a line of advancing tanks. And the law of reciprocity was broken. Now it happens when people who are powerless respond against overwhelming force. Because often there is no other way. And we, we rightly elevate people who act in these kind of ways. We elevate people who act as protesters and demonstrators in that way who choose to take a weaker position to speak to those in power and to do so quite convincingly. But when it comes to human relationships, you and I still go back to the playground often. When it comes to human relationships and our interactions, it's like we're seven years old again and we're sat in the back seat of a car arguing with somebody. And what they do to us, we do to them. Or we ignore them because they're not worth it. Somehow these feats of of great show of defiance, but in a kind of humble and gentle way, escape us and elude us in the moment. It's as if those moments that work for protest don't work in our everyday relationships. And Jesus presents a different way of being. In a setting where Christians were persecuted and, and being 
facing all sorts of torment for their faith, Jesus presents a very different way. And it's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. And he tells us to do four things. Love, do good, bless, pray. That's what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes today. Love, do good, bless, pray. And I've got a scripture to go with this. That this, this whole thing breaks that law of reciprocity. Love, do good, bless, pray. And I think we could be revolutionary if we put this into action. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. And I'm going to read on a little bit more than that. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who, are doing, who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be pay, repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I've left that verse on the screen because I think it's incredibly challenging. And this is one of those passages where, which none of our friends ever advises us to put into practice. I've never been wronged and had a friend come to me and tell me to love the person and do good to them, and be gracious to them, and bless them, and pray for them. I've only had friends come and tell me to, to, kind of, to back up what I'm feeling, to justify, to kind of stroke how I'm feeling, and say, oh, it's okay, Stuart, you know, just, it's all right. You might have a good friend. You might have some good friends who say, come on, sort your life out. Love them. Pray for them. Those kind of friends are valuable. But often, we gather around us people who tell us what we want to hear, and support us in our discomfort. Jesus talks about four kinds of people. He talks about, in, in order, your enemies, those who hate you, those who curse you, those who ill-treat you. And there's a progression that goes on through this. Your enemies. These are the people who, and bear in mind, Jesus is talking to those who will be persecuted for their faith. That's what he's just been talking about. Those who suffer persecution and loss and hardship and, and even imprisonment or death. He's talking about the Christians facing enemies. I think the, perhaps a, a, a parallel to us today is to think of those who believe very different things from us. Uh, right now, our politicians have had one set of elections. There's another set coming. And it's quite easy for views to be polarized and for one group of people representing one political viewpoint to look at the others and speak about them as their enemies. It's not quite as, you know, Conservative and Labour would be an easy shot, I suppose, but perhaps UKIP and the Green Party. Quite different views. And it would be easy for one set to look at the others and talk about them as their enemies, and this group over here to talk about them as their enemies. And Jesus is saying, there are groups of people who believe and do things very differently to you. Maybe for us as Christians, if we are believers here, it's those who have a different faith or perhaps no faith and are very militant about that. Secondly, those who hate you. Notice how it's gone on. 
it's taken a step further on. So your enemies can just be those who are different to you, very different to you, and have, are going in different directions. But those who hate are those who actively dislike you. They've made it personal. And Jesus is talking about groups of people that don't just, aren't just different to you, but they've taken on a, an active dislike of us as individuals or as a group. Maybe they distrust us, dislike us, or we disgust them, but they don't like us very much at all. Then, thirdly, those who curse you. This is getting even, even more active. This is those who speak against you. Perhaps it's a spiritual curse. Perhaps it's a tweet that you're mentioned in or something on Facebook that goes out that, these days that you don't like. That Actually, there's, there's some kind of criticism or something that's said that is against you, and it's, it's like that curse that goes out. It's those kind of people too. And then finally, those who mistreat you. Those who speak, treat you harshly, maybe a physical attack, but maybe uh, overlooking, preferring others. Maybe we lack a promotion or lack recognition or there's some, something that happens that's just really harsh. And you'll notice there's a progression through these. From just being distant and different down to an active ill treatment. And Jesus goes on to say there are four responses. To love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, and to pray for those who mistreat you. The love he talks about is the same love that God has for us. Not a romantic or a friendly love. It's always a practical love, but it's here. Notice a love that initiates. It's really important. Jesus says, love your enemies. There are groups of people who are different and alien and other and going in a different direction and naturally your enemies. Jesus says, well, already in that situation, love them. Choose to start off loving them. Secondly, do good to those who hate you. So those people who are slightly more active in believing things about you or me, we should choose to do them good. Thirdly, bless those who curse you. In the Bible, Blessing is incredibly powerful. I've just been reading in my own devotions. I'm up through again to the story of Balaam. And uh, he's the one with the talking donkey uh, in one particular moment in the, the Bible story. But he's called to go and pronounce a curse over the people of Israel. And he says, no, I can't do that. I can only pronounce a blessing over them because that's what God has wants me to do. That's what God's told me to do. And, and Balaam's blessing is incredibly powerful because it represents God's desire to his people. Our blessing is incredibly powerful. And Jesus tells us to pronounce blessing, life-giving words over those who curse us. Finally, pray for those who ill-treat us. To stand before God and represent them before him. Not to pray against them, but to pray before, on their behalf. And, and it's easy to think that actually this gets easier, this list. That, that loving is really hard and that praying for is really easy. And I don't think that's the case. I think actually to daily go before God and to cry out for his mercy and his favor on those who are ill-treating you is really difficult to do. Now, this is one of those Bible passages where when we read it, we, we look at it and we go, surely this... We must find, there must be another explanation. Maybe it's different in the Greek. 
Maybe it's different in a different version. Let me get another version. Let me get all the versions I can. Let me put them all together and let's find one that's slightly less challenging and slightly less one of those passages that slaps you around the face. Because to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you and pray for those who will treat you is really hard. And all of them break this law I was talking about earlier, this reciprocity where we, we do to others what they do to us. This is the opposite. The connection between action and reaction is gone. Now the effect of this might be disarming. It might bring people round to love us and be kind to us or it may have no effect at all. But we're not told to act because of an effect that will come. We're told to act because of another reason I'll get to in just a moment. There's no guarantee that this will work and make things easier for us. I love it when God does an incredible job of work in people's lives with those who are different from me. Years ago, I was excited to hear stories that are still ongoing today about God's work in the traveling community. God's work with travelers up and down the, the country and around Europe, people whose lifestyle is very different to mine. And, and I, knew, I knew a good handful of traveling folk from our last church who would come in and out of the, the um, church from in seasonally based on where they were staying at the time. But God's work amongst that community was incredibly powerful. There was a revival going on where people were being turned towards Jesus in their thousands. And it was the change of lifestyle was vast. Rob and I were away last week at at a leader, or this week, just gone at a leaders' conference, and we were hearing again from uh, the guy that I saw in Egypt last year, um, who was telling us stories about uh, millions, millions of Muslims coming to Christ today. Uh, They're seeing incredible response to Jesus as those who were enemies, who were distant, who were far off, are responding to God's revelation to them directly but also to the love and the outreach of christians in that part of the world and they're just seeing so many coming to jesus christ today and it's incredibly exciting to see that but this is a risk there's a risk that this stuff might put us in in to responding against our, our better desires that would want to just act and be harsh there's a risk that it might not work there's a risk that it might get worse why should we do these things Why should we love and do good and bless and pray? Is it just a list of commands that God gives? Is it just like one of those lists that he tells you and if we're going to be obedient, we should do it? No, I don't think it's just that. Is it because it's a good thing to do? It's it's about being nice and Christians are nice. I don't think it's that either. Is it some kind of idealism? No, I don't think it's that. Verse 36 tells us this. Your reward will be great. And you'll be children of the Most High, because he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. We should act in this way for three reasons. Number one, because your reward is great. Number two, because you'll be children of the Most High. Number three, because God is like that and we're called to be like him. 
I'm going to take those in reverse order. We do those loving acts because of who God is and because what he does. God does not keep score and repay us in kind. He's keen to forgive. That verse here says that he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. If you listen to some people preaching, or not preaching often, but if you listen to some people talking, God is just rubbing his hands with glee, waiting to get his hands on some sinners to to damage them. And yet this verse says that he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. How many of you know from your own experience that God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked? Yeah? I do. You can pop your hands down. I do. Those times in my own life when I have not deserved God's grace and God's kindness and he hasn't pushed me away and he hasn't acted as my sins deserved. He hasn't done the same thing to me that I've done to him. Nor has he ignored me because I'm not worth it. Instead, he's given of his kindness and his grace to me when I've been ungrateful or wicked. Jesus also demonstrates all of those things. He prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as he's being mistreated. He blesses those who curse him. He does good to those who are certainly not doing good to him. He heals the ungrateful day after day after day. And God is still doing this today. The word of God tells us that Jesus is interceding on our behalf before the Father. Daily, he's crying out to the Father. Day after day after day, even when you're wicked, even when you and I are ungrateful, he's still crying out to the Father on our behalf. That's the God we serve. That's the one who's inviting us. That's the one who's inviting us to to, to respond in kind and to, to live as he lives himself. If you don't know God's love, if you don't know God personally, if you don't know that Jesus died for you, please hear this. The God who we're talking about today is one who is calling you to himself. He loves you. He doesn't want to push you to one side. The people that you've seen being prayed for today, are confident to come to the front of this building because they know that there's one who will not treat them as their sins deserve, but welcomes them to come into his presence. And today he extends the same opportunity to each one of us in this room. That no matter what our background is, no matter where we've been, we can say yes to Jesus. We can say yes to Jesus' forgiveness, yes to his grace, Yes to his mercy, yes to his favor, yes to his goodness, and we don't deserve any of it, but he loves to give it anyway. That's how good our God is. We also also act in this way because we will be children of the Most High if we do. You know, God declares if we say yes to him that we become his children, but that's not just enough to just become it because he says it. Actually, the calling is to live that out day by day. We demonstrate that we're God's children by living out the way that Jesus calls us to. And finally, our reward will be great, both now and in the life to come. How do we do this then? How do we love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, and pray for those who mistreat us? I just want to give a couple of caveats to this. You see, I believe that Jesus is speaking to individuals facing tremendous persecution. I don't believe he's giving a 
a mantra for government. I don't think this is speaking to national government. I think he's speaking to individuals. That's one caveat I would put on this. Secondly, I don't think that Jesus, when he's telling us to love and do good and to bless and to pray for, is telling us not to take responsible action when people are systematically mistreating people. So if a child is in a playground and is being persistently bullied, they are still able to go and report that bullying to somebody in authority. I think that's important to say. But their response should still be that of love and doing good and blessing and praying for, even as they're taking that responsible action. I I do not believe also that this is uh, a passage that demands that people who suffer domestic violence or sexual abuse should stay quiet about that. Jesus speaks about those who put anything in the the way of children coming to the Father. He said it would be better for them that a millstone is put around their neck and they're thrown into the sea. God is one who deals pretty firmly with those things. The people should take responsible actions and should report things, but still privately in their own relationships choose to love. There There are times when people need to leave damaging relationships that are so dangerous. Actually, and, and come out for their own safety. That's not ignoring someone because they're not worth it. That's about making a different kind of response for your own safety. But, so here, just with all that context here, how do we actually do this in our normal day-to-day relationships? Love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us, and pray for those who mistreat us. I think we do a few things. We love as a first step. The very first thing we do is we love other people. We do that by getting close to God, being captivated by him. You know, in this verse here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And when I went on to it, I said that we actually do all those things because of God's love for us. There's just a couple of things about our walk with God that I think can really encourage us and help us. I think if we draw closer to God, and we see how wonderful he is and how magnificent he is and how holy he is and how awesome he is, it really helps us in this regard. To magnify God's holiness is incredibly helpful when it comes to these issues. Because as we see how perfect God is, we see how sinful we can be. We see the difference between God's glory and what sin actually does to people and what hurt and harm does to people. We get a different perspective. And then those, that, that gap between God and sin causes us to marvel at God's grace. And that's a good place to be. Folks, if you're finding yourself worshipping God and marveling at grace, that's a very safe place to be. Because your attention's off you and it's onto him and God's incredible goodness. We start loving other people by recognizing how awesome God is, how bad sin is, and that how gracious God has been in forgiving our debt, in setting us free, in breaking off the power of sin and death and giving us freedom. We start to love by seeing how good God is, how bad sin is, how wonderful grace is, and then applying the same wonderful grace that we've received to those that we're dealing with day by day. It starts with us. It starts by choosing to love 
It starts in a culture which reinforces my rights and the fact that if I'm offended, I can respond in kind. It starts with me choosing to love. I think it's time to break that law I spoke about earlier, that law of reciprocity. I think it's time to break that. I think it's time to move on from there. I think it's time to move on and to start loving and doing good and blessing and praying, even when we're treated badly. I think it's time to break the cycle. What would the consequence be if we, from today onwards, from today, we're going to have lunch later on. If you didn't know about that, Tesco's is just next door. You're welcome to grab something, come and share. There may even be enough already. We're having lunch. When you're stood in the queue and someone in front of you is piling a bit too much on their plate and they take the last bit of something that you wanted, what's your response going to be? What's my response going to be? Kick him in the shins? Run around quicker to get to the next bit? When we're at work, and actually we're facing the challenges of day-to-day life, and when we're at home, do you know, I think sometimes it's easier at work and harder at home because we're unguarded and we're back to our primary school age response sometimes. When you're at home and people are, you know, you're just, just in that relationship where maybe you're responding as a child, not as an, a one who follows Christ. When we're at work and we're, we're tempted to, to react because people are treating us badly, what would the response be? What would the difference be if we could start loving those who are different, doing good to those who are not doing good to us, blessing those who curse us, and praying for those who are actually doing us harm? I think there would be a powerful shift beginning to take place. And you know, the most important place I think it would start to take place is in here, in me, and in you. And I think as we begin to love each other, and love unendingly, and and bless those who are cursing, and pray for those who are mistreating, we would see a response. One of the things I saw in Egypt last year, which challenged me more than anything else, in the midst of hearing stories of persecution on our news, on the midst of hearing stories about ISIS and all that was going on, was to see hundreds of people from those nations around that area getting on their knees and praying for those who were persecuting. Praying for the commanders and the captains of ISIS that they would find Christ. Praying that they would receive grace. Praying that they would know they're loved by a heavenly Father. It just broke me. Because normally our response is to pray against and to use God's power to curse. But actually they were praying for and blessing and doing good and loving. Perhaps it's no wonder that millions are coming to know Jesus with that kind of love and that kind of prayer. Folks, it's time to put away. It's on my, he's on my side. He's on your side. It's time to put away responding in kind or shunning. Let's love. Let me pray.